Hello, and welcome to the Seven Sage Podcast. I'm J.Y. Ping, and today's episode will be different from the five episodes we've already released. For one, I'm not going to be in today's episode at all. Rather, you're going to hear an hour-long Q&A with David Busis, who heads up Seven Sage's Emissions Consulting Services. In the Q&A, David answers a wide variety of questions ranging from super general questions like, who's your writer diversity statement? How do I prepare for interview? To super narrow and specific questions like, do I need to explain why one semester my GPA dropped to a 3.6 from my average of 3.9? Given that the original format of the audio content was a participatory online Q&A, there will be some parts that unfortunately didn't translate so well over to a podcast. For example, during the Q&A, David was doing a screen share the whole time, so the participants were able to see what was on his screen. There will be times when he references words or diagrams on his screen like this thing over here, and of course we podcast listeners won't be able to tell what he's talking about. But don't worry, he only does it like two or three times, so I promise it doesn't detract much from the content. David does, however, frequently reference the emissions course that he created on 7Sage, since it contains the answers to some of the most frequently recurring questions we get. When he says, we have a lesson on that, the emissions course is what he's referring to. A big chunk of that course is free on 7Sage.com emissions, so please do check it out. And one last thing I want to say ahead of time is that we are releasing this audio onto the podcast partially so that you know this Q&A is something that we do. It's a resource for you. We're in the thick of emissions, and until at least the end of 2018, David will be hosting these Q&As on a regular basis on 7Sage. So if you think this is something you can take advantage of, if you have questions about your applications, please join us. You're absolutely welcome. To find out more information, just go to 7Sage.com discussion and there you'll see the announcements for future Q&As. Okay, that's all I've got to say. Without further ado, please enjoy. You know what, I'm here, so I just see no reason not to get started. So I'm just doing a Q&A in this session, and it's basically office hours. So if you guys have questions about your application, I am uh, more than happy to answer them. And, uh, you know, it's small, and you guys are here early, so hopefully I'll get to talk to each one of you. So uh, welcome here. And if you don't know me, by the way, I'm David. I'm the admissions guy at Seven Sage. I'm, I'm one of many. So anyway, uh, if you have a question, just go ahead and raise your hand. I, I prefer that to uh, the Q&A because it's, um, it's easier to talk to people. Um, Majdal, I'm just going to call on you. You talked about underrepresented minorities versus being like historically underrepresented. And for instance, okay, there was a girl that was also like Muslim. I'm an Arab Muslim person. And I was wondering like, since I'm not like the, you know, technical term of underrepresented, is that not good enough to speak about in my diversity statement or? You should definitely speak about that in your diversity statement if you want to. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there's just no question about that. Okay. I just wanted I, to I make sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, for example, call schools that would normally be a reach, a target or a safety because of that. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. It's, it's hard to say how much that's going to affect your cycle, but definitely, you know, that's your identity and you should embrace it and talk about it and your uh, personal statement if you want or your diversity. Or your diversity. Okay, yeah. Um, that actually brings me to my diversity statement. Um, I, I don't know um, how much should 
be spoken about like in terms of that if I'm like going to be redundant or repetitive in my going from like personal statement to diversity statement I don't know um is it bad to speak about those things twice like that kind of like because obviously like these these aspects of what makes me diverse also have an impact on like they're going to be brought up in my personal statement so it's like to what extent is it too repetitive, I guess, is my question. It's a great question. It is a little bit hard to answer in um, general terms without looking at the essays. But I will say this. I think it is definitely okay if both your personal statement and your diversity statement bring up the fact or depend on the fact that you're an Arab Muslim woman. I don't think it's okay to tell the same story. So it's basically the same rules that go for anyone. You know, you, you want to make sure that every component of your application is saying something new. And if it's not, it's not worth writing. You know, as mm -hmm. Isaac Babel said, turn the key once. So once you say something, you should trust that they're smart cookies who are reading your application and they'll get it. Now, if you wanted to tell, for example, like, two different stories and both of them had something to do with your identity, I think that would be totally fine. Okay. Thank you. Um, also, uh, I had a dropped semester um, and I had currently on my um, application, like an addendum, I guess, um, about like, it's just one line basically like due to hospitalization and, you know, illness, um, I was forced to drop that semester and that obviously affected my GPA that which is why I'm including it um, but I was wondering like in terms of diversity personal statement um, how much you recommend we talk about uh, or like I don't know don't recommend that we talk about perhaps mental health issues that we have you know had to overcome um, while we were in school or just like in general in life, um, if that really like affected us or if that was something that we had to overcome, if it's a good story to tell, like, does it, would it damn me? Oh, sorry, excuse my language, but would it be- You can say damn. Or would it be, yeah, would it, would it be more damning to me kind of raising red flags about um, my ability to perform as a student or to, would they be, you know, like less or, or more reluctant to like accept me? if they, you know, if I were to disclose, like, I have this thing that I struggle with, or I struggled with, and it's something, you know, that I have under control, but it is something that I overcame, but it's still something that could potentially cause me grief in the future. Like, is that's, that gonna... Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I just want to highlight this lesson. I'm, I think that we actually sort of talk about that specifically um, in this lesson about when to write a non-required addendum. Actually, in your case, it might be required on some schools because some schools ask you to explain, you know, why there's a gap in your education. But in any case, the answer, as it so often is, is that it depends. Okay. You're right that it's tricky. Uh, you don't want to write an essay or an addendum that raises questions about your ability to complete law school. So if it seems like you you know, haven't recovered, or if um, you're still struggling with this, certainly, you know, admissions officers are probably not consciously going to discriminate you. And it, it might, in fact, be illegal for them to do that. But nevertheless, like you really just don't want to raise the specter of you not being able to complete school because 
you can't handle it. That said, I, I certainly don't think that like it's something that you have to hide or stay away from. And one of the best personal statements I have ever read was about the author's depression. She talked about how, you know, she had depression when um, she was a teenager and she struggled with it and um, it helped her see the world in a new way and it, it just sort of shaped her identity. And that author got in everywhere and now she's going to Stanford. Um, so, you know, clearly, clearly it didn't damn her. Um, so I just think like most things, it depends how you handle it and you just have to make sure that you know, you show them that it it didn't and is not going to, or well, I guess in your case, maybe it, it did make you drop a semester, but you just have to show them that like, it's it's not going to imperil your studies at law school. And there's sort of a formula for that if you're writing it in an addendum. Um, you know, you just, you tell them what changed. Um, and, you know, maybe you adjusted your medication, maybe you adjusted your lifestyle. And, you know, you say, I, I was able to uh, achieve sessions such as GPA, um, after my stay and, uh, you know, for these reasons, um, I'm healthy and I'm happy and I don't think it's going to be an issue in law school. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, Matt, I'm going to call on you. Hey, uh, David, can you hear me? I sure can. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, first of all, thanks for hosting this webinar. I've always found these to be uh, incredibly helpful. Oh, good. Uh, good. So let me get to my question. I've been studying full-time for the LSAT since mid-August of this year, and I plan on applying in September of 2019. Mm -hmm. Will it look bad to admissions counselors if I have a gap in my resume from August of 2018 to September of 2019, worst-case scenario? I'm um, 22, and I've recently transitioned back to civilian life from the military, so my resume does have four years of unique and challenging working experience with volunteer events. I'm just concerned about the gap for when I'm studying full-time. Do you foresee that being a problem? Uh, well, the short answer is no, but I'll expand on it a little bit. I will say that, like, look, is, is a gap ideal? You already know that it's not ideal. You wouldn't be asking right. the question. But it is getting more and more common. We see it all the time with people who graduated college. Um, people take a year off. Now, you know, Matt, in your case in particular, I would worry about it even less than I would for someone else. Because, it, you know, if you served in the military for four years, well, I, I guess I won't put words into somebody else's mouth. But what I can say is that if I were an admissions officer reading your application, I really wouldn't think twice about it. I would say, okay, he just served in the military for four years. I can understand why he would want to take a little bit of time off before law school. You know, if you're worried about it, I think that you can and maybe should just write a short addendum explaining, you know, how you've used the time. I probably wouldn't say I spent the entire time studying for the LSAT. Although, you know, if we're going to sort of talk realpolitik, like that's definitely the right move. Your, your LSAT score is just, you know, it, you know, it's the most important factor. And so um, certainly it's worth having a gap in your resume, but you know, maybe, maybe you can, I mean, you can't study for the LSAT 24 hours a day or, or even 16 hours a day when you're awake. So, you know, may, maybe you can still find time to just do something that you find worthwhile this year, uh, whether that's um, volunteering or um, getting a part-time job, or learning a new language, or whatever, and um, or you know, spending more time with your family—all of that's totally legitimate, not just in the real world, but also on an addendum. And and you could just mention that you did that. Oh, that sounds great. I was under the impression I had to have hard working experience the whole time, and they would have you know not wanted to see anything else besides that. Uh, but if that's the case, then definitely I can find something to fill that gap. I was just curious. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck. Yeah, thank you, Robbie. I see that uh, got your hand raised. How's it going? Hi, David. Uh, thanks for hosting this. Sure. So 
my uh, I have a few questions. So in looking at Yale's application and their college activities and post-college activity sections, I, I read Asha's blog and it sounded like Yale does not have a, or they at least don't mention that they have a, a preference for the formatting of these sections. But I was wondering if you had an inclination toward what you think would look the best. So my current drafts are in bulleted format with some short descriptions for each activity. And then also I noticed that the post-college activities section is optional as is the resume, which is unusual. Most schools they seem to require the resume. So I don't want to uh, be redundant. So my question with the post-college activity section is, should I omit that section and just submit my resume or should I highlight activities that are not on my resume? Um, and would that, um, with the, with the post-college activity section, would the best format be uh, a narrative or a bullet list or a combination of both? Ravi, I think that you just shouldn't worry about whether or not this overlaps with your resume um, because it's, it's just a different format, you know? Um, mm -hmm. UVA actually, uh, I think they copied it from Yale. I'm pretty sure Yale did this long before UVA did, but you know, the major difference is that you're listing these in order of importance. I happen to think that like beyond that, uh, resume-ish formatting is still maybe a good way to go. I just think that you want to make sure that it's very well organized and easy to understand what you're doing. So, uh, you know, significant extracurricular activities. We did the sunbathing club, right? I would, you know, maybe list that in bold. But I'm just, I'm just making this up. I'm just trying to show you something that looks neat. And I'll, you know, make this very prominent. Maybe you do bullets here. Yeah. And then put, put dates as well, right? Right. So also, the good thing is, is for the college activities, all that information is going to be new because I graduated five years ago. So I think that will serve as a secondary resume, if you will. But then... Well, that's exactly right. Because these significant extra curricular activities and unpaid internships in college are probably not going to go on your resume or maybe maybe they're not all going to go on your resume if you graduated five years ago. Um, you know, the longer you've been out of college, the less room you tend to have for stuff like this. I'm not saying that you can't put them on your resume. You, you, you certainly can. You know, if you leave some of them out, they can all go here. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your questions, but I, I think the... Um, like the, the takeaways are just, you know, still and, you want to make sure that it's, you know, very legible and scannable. So I would not just write a narrative. I wouldn't make them read through a block of text. And um, I would say just take them literally and don't worry too much about overlapping with your resume. Okay. And then with, uh, and then also with the post-college activity section, they don't mention to list things in order of importance. Would you still do that for that or... Would you go more chronologically um, or reverse chronologically? Describe what you've been doing in the interval. You know, since they don't specify, I think it's totally up to you. I would probably default to reverse chronological unless there's something you want to highlight and put at the top. Okay. And you would still say a bulleted format would be preferable to some sort of... I would narrative. stick to the same format for A, B, and C. Whatever you end okay. up for A, I would, you know... Replicate. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the help. Good luck on Yale. Thank you. Michael, I'm going to call on you. So here's my situation. I graduated from graduate school May 12, 2018. Okay. And I didn't start working until August 23rd, 2018. Right. Now, my question is this. At what point is a gap significant? Like, what's your definition of a significant gap? 
whatever it is, it's much longer than your gap. Oh, okay. You so you just didn't work for a couple months, right? Yeah, um, from May fourteenth until August twenty second, I wasn't working. It's completely not even a little bit of an issue. All right, cool. Doesn't doesn't need a an addendum. I mean, you know, I said obviously the the instructions on the application always supersede my advice. So, you know, if they say something like if you were ever out of work, which I, I don't really think any of them say, but if they do, you have to write about it. But if they if they don't specifically, you know, call for an explanation for this, you are totally fine. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I also plan on applying um fall twenty nineteen. So, okay. Great. So you've uh, you've got some time. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm just wondering um, how much graduate school information should I put compared to my time here at Purdue? What what would be more more significant? I'm not yeah. quite sure I understand. Are you asking like how much information to put on your resume or or where? On the um on the personal statement. So the personal statement, you know, may talk maybe about something that happened to you or something you did in graduate school. It might be about um, something that happened to you or something that you did in college, but I don't think the the best way to approach it is, you know, what do I need to talk about? Because you don't actually need to talk about either one. You know, when you're when you're figuring out a personal statement, you know, the questions that you should ask yourself are things like, what's the best story I can tell? What do I want the admissions committee to know about me? Right. Um, slash what wouldn't they know about um and i probably the third primary question is you know why am i going to law school i think if you approach it from you know the framework of these questions you know you you may find that you end up talking more about graduate school than college but not because you necessarily have to does that make sense uh, that makes perfect sense um thank yeah. you for doing this by the way we, we we all really appreciate it yeah you're totally welcome all right good luck thank you zach pizzazz Zach, is that your real name? Uh, no, that is not my real name. And if anybody watches the Good Place on NBC, they will um, they will understand the reference. But uh, okay, it went it went right over my head. Yeah. Well, um, I have a very specific um, first world problem type question about a GPA addendum. Sure, um, sure. I was hoping to ask you, and apologies to anyone else who's listening for its sort of specificity. So, so I had a very good GPA in college in the mid 3.8 range, um, yet I had a span of about two semesters where my grades um, slid. You know, I, I was in the 3.9 range, and those two semesters I was probably in the 3.6, 3.7 range because my parents were going through a separation at the time. And so I was wondering if it's worth writing an addendum for that because I didn't completely fall apart. You know, my, my overall record was good. I graduated with the highest honors, you know, in, in the college, yet anyone looking at my transcript will see a sort of downward trend. And without an explanation, without context, I'm wondering if, you know, I, I'm wondering if I, I, need to, I need to explain some sort of context for that. That's a really good question. So I'll tell you my first instinct is no, don't write one. Yeah. But I can also tell you that I, I feel maybe less confident about this answer than I do about some of the other answers I've already given. Uh, but I just think at least on the face of things, the risk of just sort of like looking whiny or something like that, like, well, I, 
could have gotten a 3.9, but instead I only ended up with this cruddy 3.85. I I think the risk of that, of looking kind of grubby, uh, maybe outweighs the contextualizing or explanatory power of that addendum. That makes total sense, and that was what I was concerned about, and that was why I asked. Right? If if it, if it was like I was I was reaching too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess just another way that you should always be thinking about these questions is, well, what's the upside and what's the downside? In your case, the upside just isn't isn't that high, uh, right? Because it's like you you don't have that much to gain by making them think that in an alternate universe you you could have been a a little bit better. And it would draw attention to it when it may not be something they're all that. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, I would assume they'll notice it. But again, I just, I don't think that they'll be like, oh, he only got a 3.6 this semester. You know, we were all set to admit him. But I, I just think that they would probably, like if I were an admissions officer, I would probably assume something close to the truth. I would say, well, maybe he was going through something. So yeah, I guess I, in this case, it just seems to me like the downside is maybe a little bit higher. The, the risk of looking like someone that they just don't want in their law school is real. And there's just not that much that you need to explain. That makes total sense. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Jackie. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Really well, thanks. Um, so I have a question uh, in regards to maybe... Um, classes that I took that were not out of my major that I didn't do so well on, which Mm -hmm. I mean, overall then kind of lowered my overall GPA. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I should write an addendum for those. Do law schools look at major GPAs or more so on cumulative? Um, They'll, they'll see both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would assume that they'll look at your transcript and then they'll look at your academic summary, which you can see yourself by logging on to LSAC. I can't remember like the exact steps to get there, but it's not that hard to find. You know, I think mm-hmm. you go to credentials and then something else. Um, so of course you should look at what they're gonna see. You should look at your transcript and then you should look at your academic summary. And yeah, I, I would assume that they'll notice that. Um, I think the only question right is whether or not you want to write an addendum about it. And this, this you know builds nicely on Zach Pizzazz's question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it just depends on <laughs> what kind of swing we're talking about. Um, you know, if you if you were getting A's in just, I mean, j- just to take an excre- extreme, if you were getting A's right in every subject in your major, and then you got a D in you know that whatever econ class because you you just I don't know, it wasn't up your alley. Yeah, sure, that, that, that probably is worth writing an addendum. That's very notable. Um, if it's more like you were getting, to take the other extreme, um, you know, B pluses, and then in one class you got a B, that's definitely not worth writing an addendum about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I have just one more question, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I started, um, I got a graduate degree this year, but right after college, I started another graduate degree that I actually didn't enjoy very much. And so I withdrew from the program. Do what I have to explain that I just, I'm afraid that the admissions committee is going to think, oh no, she's so quick to withdraw um, just because she doesn't 
it, she didn't think it was a good fit. And so I don't really want to frame the narrative that way. Yeah, that probably is worth writing an addendum about. Okay. Um, just, you know, explain what happened. And, and obviously, you know, you're, you're right, Tori, about that. And so the goal is to show them you're not a dilettante. You're not just messing around. And this is not what you're going to do in law school. You know, another piece of, of solving that liability maybe making the why law part of your personal statement just a little bit more robust than it otherwise would have been. Um, okay. It doesn't mean that you have to BS them. It just means like you, perhaps more than some other applicants, have to explain why you're applying to law school and, and you know, just show them that this is, this is a considered decision. Mm, okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck. Thanks. Hey, Julie. How's it going? Okay. Hi. Thank you. Um, I just have a really quick question. Sure. So for the seven-stage admissions predictor, I've been using it yeah. um, pretty religiously, but um, I was just wondering, what are the different percentage ranges that determine if a school is a reach um, or a safety or uh, in the middle? Good question. So that is, <laughs> um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, what I think of as a reach or a safety, but I'll also just tell you it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you actually are like looking at percentages. You know, I tend to think of anything, you know, from here up probably mm -hmm. as like a super reach, 20% or lower. Um, I tend to think of like 20 to 40% as a reach. Mm -hmm. um, so we're here. I tend to think of like 40 to 60% as a target, 60 to 80% as a probable target. Um, and, you know, 80 to 100 percent as a safety, but okay. um, you know, in some ways these these percentages are you know maybe that's more relevant than the category of reach target or safety, or maybe not because uh, as I've said before, like this is this is not meant to be taken literally. This is a tool to help you gauge you know your chances, and it's it's only you know one input source, and um, right. you know I I think it's pretty good, but it it's certainly blind to a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent confident that there are like zero flaws in our methodology. I'm not positive that the data is the best. So, you know, I think this, so, so maybe I'll take it back. Maybe those sort of broad categories are better than these actual percentages because yeah, I do think of all of these numbers as a little fudgy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Good luck. Bye. Jared, did we call on you yet? I don't think we did, right? Uh, no. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Okay, um, the question I have, I think I know what you're going to say, but I just want to get your feedback. So on filling out the, the resume and like personal experiences. So this is kind of like, uh, so one thing I was thinking about, we're talking about like what we've done and like accomplishments and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. One thing that I know they say, like don't talk about anything controversial or, you know, that, that could put off the person reading your statement. And one of the things that I did that, you know, that I'm happy about, but maybe not the people who are going to read it is that I work for the, um, I was the official representative for the Trump campaign at my, at the college I was at. And, you know, I'm a Republican. I've worked on a lot of different campaigns and stuff, but knowing the schools I want to target and, you know, kind of more of a reality, my brain is saying like, leave that out, like anything like you know, because I've read before, like, don't talk about controversial positions like abortion or something that because you don't know. But in my mind, I'm thinking because most of these schools that I want to apply to, I guess, 
I guess, have a culture, I guess, that leading the opposites away. So I'm thinking maybe it would just be safe just to leave that out. And I don't know, there's part of me, like, in my heart saying, like, don't, because I'm also, like, a Mormon. I went, like, on a mission. So, you know, there's, like, a lot. I'm just wondering, like, how much of, you know what I mean? Because I want to play it safe. I don't want to, I don't know if you run into these types of questions a lot, but, you know, kind of, you want, I have a feeling, like, they say, you know, just tell who you are, but being realistic, I feel like, you know, my chances are better if if I kind of, what I was going to do is just say that I worked for a presidential campaign, so not being specific about who it was, because, you know, in reality, it's either a hate-love relationship, and I don't want to jeopardize that. Yeah, I, I, well, I think you largely answered your own question. I, I mean, I think just if we step back, Obviously, if you want to play it safe, you just don't talk about it. That is, that is safer. Um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it. But if, you know, I, I think this question probably just sort of boils down to your stance. And if your stance is risk averse, which makes a lot of sense, yeah, I just wouldn't talk about it because we don't, we don't know how risky it is or not, you know? Um, and we know that there are probably essays that you could write that just aren't risky at all. I also, by the way, I wouldn't talk about a presidential candidate if you're not going to name it, because I just think that's going to lead to a bad essay. It's going to look evasive, which in fact it will be. It's going to be nonspecific, and I think it's going to end up being soggy. Um, So I would just, you know, again, if you want to play it safe, choose a new topic. Um, You know, I I really feel two ways about this, because on the one hand, like, I, I do think that people should be able to you know, write what they care about. And I think that they should, you know, explain why they want to go to law school. And if you have like strong political convictions, that's a really legitimate reason to want to go to law school. It makes a lot of sense. I also want to say that like, uh, you know, I hope that admissions readers are going to be impartial um, and try not to let their bias filter in. And finally, you know, I'll say there's, there is definitely also a chance that this would work for you. You know, I would bet that admissions officers want to put together a class that is diverse in all ways, including politically and intellectually. And so, you know, you never know. It's certainly a possibility that this works in your favor. But I think that sort of brings us back to where we began, because like I said, it's a risk, you know, it, in some ways it's, it's high reward. It could work in your favor, uh, just because it will probably uh, be memorable and unique and different from many other essays, um, and it may be more honest, um, but it could also certainly work against you. Well, yeah, because that was part of my thinking was that just, especially in the political climate we live in now, you know, it could be someone reading it thinking, oh, great, he worked for Hitler, you know, <laughs> and, you know, because I follow the name, I'm deep in politics, so I've seen like a lot of these professors and and teachers who are kind of like, you know, active out there in, in opposition. Not saying that's wrong or anything, but I just, I'm worried about not just the personal statement, but also my resume, because that's what I was doing for a long period of time, you know, with different... Well, I don't really think you can leave it off your resume. So I just don't, I'm not sure there's any question there. Because I, I, I actually just feel like it would be dishonest if you did. And, you know, that's, that's a different kind of risk and it's not one that you, sh- that you want to take. So, you, you know, that may just be something you can't hide from them uh, on your resume. You know, I'm not sure. I've actually never 
I've never thought much about this and I've, I've never had someone ask me this, but yeah, my instinct is that um, <laughs> you, you don't want to try to hide anything from them because that's just more likely to backfire than it is to help you. Okay. Would be more vague kind of be too misleading if I just said I work for a presidential campaign or uh, my again, I, I don't know. And I want to say that, you know, I might be wrong. I don't have a high degree of confidence in this answer. But my gut is yes, that would be misleading and wrong. And, um, and just sort of like, it would make for a bad resume. I mean, if I were an admissions officer, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. You yeah. worked for a presidential campaign. Which one, buddy? Like, yeah, I don't want to be duplicitous or kind of. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, my gut is just, I don't think you have a choice about what you put on the resume. Okay. All right. I'll take your advice to heart. Thanks. I appreciate it. Okay. Hey, Suzanne. Hi, David. Are you there? I am. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thank you for taking my question. Um, sure. So I would say after hearing your percentages, Stanford is a super reach, <laughs> but I like their education law clinic, so I'm going to apply anyway. Sure. Um, but I have just been working on their optional essays mm -hmm. and one, and I'm doing the one about like what three books would you donate? And mm -hmm. I guess I'm just kind of trying to figure out how to format that and like what the tone of it is. You know, because they ask for three, do I, I don't have numbers, but I do say like first, second, third, like, I'm just not really sure how to format it. Um, I mean, this might not be really what you're asking, but I don't think there's any question about the formatting. The formatting, uh, you know, it's, it's a narrative. And so I would format it the way you format your personal statement, which is double spaced with a header, but that's probably not what you mean, right? I, I, yes. I think I must be using the wrong word. I'm not just... I'm really not sure how to organize how to, it. Yeah. How to organize it. Thank you. Cause you know, there's the lesson on the Yale 250, but I feel like this isn't exactly that. I mean, I would probably, I, I think you can organize it in a really straightforward way. You know, okay. uh, the first book I would donate would be fear of flying. Okay. Um, That's yeah. kind of how I have it now. I just wasn't, I wasn't sure if that was, I don't know it sounds like it's the right thing. I think it's fine because this isn't, you know, this sentence, this is actually sort of not the important part. This sentence is like, okay, fine. Here's what I care about. Why? Uh, okay. This book meant so much to me. And then that's where it was, you know, touring Europe on a bicycle, whatever. And that's the why is really the meat of it. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't take any of those Stanford essay questions literally. I mean, you always follow the directions, but I would just go beyond them. Like, don't, I think if you just tell them three books, I think, I think if your response to Stanford was like, fear of flying, Harry Potter, three, prisoner of Azkaban, and the Bible, and like, you just sent them <laughs> that, like, I just, that's not, no, I mean, it's, it's an interesting list, but it doesn't it doesn't really flesh out who you are. So, you know, right. There's a reason that it's like if they only wanted this, then they, it would be like 500 characters or something. Right. OK, no, that makes sense. I just yeah. I feel better now about being like, first, I would d donate this one. Yeah. Then, oh, OK, yeah. um, the other question quickly. Um, so I had a, held a job for three months in a school and then I ended up leaving that job. Mm -hmm. 
And okay. honestly, like that experience is kind of what has prompted me to law school, to go to law school. And I kind of allude to it in my personal statement. Is mm -hmm. that something that would require an addendum? Like it's kind of sketchy that I was at a job for three months and quit, or is it okay? I think it's okay. My gut is that you don't need an addendum, but uh, you know, this is one of those cases where I, I don't feel adamant about it. And you know, I, I'm not sure that like a, a short addendum would be terrible, but I, I just think probably in general, like um, staying at a job for a short amount of time doesn't necessarily require an addendum. Okay. So I guess I'll say a hard maybe. A hard maybe. Okay. I can decide from there. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck. Bye. Hey, Ben. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good. Um, so I graduated uh, with a graduate degree in medicine, and um, I'm going to go into law school via the public policy route. Um, my my main question was, my CV is kind of extensive. I guess it's kind of like, I have, a, I have a lot of research and presentations, and et cetera. And I was wondering, how do I condense that into like a two-page document? Um, because it's quite... It's quite extensive. I mean, it's publications, um, presentations, abstracts, et cetera. Uh, for, you know, first of all, like look at the application requirements uh, for the schools and, and, and look beyond them. Look, look to see if um, they, you know, say anything on their website about this. I mean, you know, finally, this, is, this goes for everyone. Like it's, it's okay to reach out to admissions officers, call them, email them, as long as you're polite and gracious and as long as you thank them for your time, you know, this is, this is what they do. This is their job. Um, and they're happy to answer questions like this. But, you know, my first instinct is like for your, you know, publications, you don't list all of them. You say selected publications or whatever, selected presentations. Um, and, and maybe you only select two of them, you know, that's, that's sort of the first thing that jumped to mind. Without seeing your CV, it's, it's hard to give you more. Okay. And um, I guess my second question is pretty fast is, the, would it look weird going from like an MD? Um, would it seem like, oh, he's like jumping fields or anything like that during the application process? I mean, it, it might. So, I mean, yours, yours is definitely a case where you, you don't want to write a personal statement about how, um, you know, learning to juggle as a nine-year-old taught you persistence. Um, I think you probably want to write a personal statement about why you got an MD and now you want a JD. That doesn't mean that it, it can't have any anecdotes. It can, but I, I just think that yours should probably be professionally focused and perhaps more like a statement of purpose than a personal statement written by a, you know, college senior might be. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Monica, how's it going? Okay, um, I have two quick questions. Um, one of them is going off from an earlier um, question. Um, it's in regards to a GPA addendum. Uh -huh. My undergrad GPA is fairly low at a 3.2. Um, at the same token, I got married young and was doing a 3.2 GPA with a newborn. Mm -hmm. um, would you suggest adding an addendum for that? I do. Um, okay. As somebody with an eight-month-old baby, I understand why that might have been a little bit difficult to study now and then. You know, okay. and it would especially be good if, obviously you can't control this anymore, but, you know, if your GPA showed like a rising trend. Um, it did. Well, I then, see. you know, you could also yeah. point that out. Okay. Um, my second question is to the resume. Because I've been out in in the workforce for quite some time. Uh, my resume is going to be 
kind of lengthy just because of promotions. Um, so, well, actually, hold on. Let me be a little bit more specific. Here's my resume question. I'm trying to decide if currently, apart from my regular profession, I'm also part of a real estate investment group, mm-hmm. which I am majority managing operator. And then I'm majority managing operator of a construction group. So I have these two quote unquote. <laughs> um, and I'm not too sure if I should even add them to the resume um, just because my concern is that it seems when you're looking at the paper, it seems like I'm all over the place. Um, but it really is just a, you know, where our family, this is where our family makes our money from. If that yeah, makes- then put it on the resume. I, I would, uh, by the way, I heard like 80% of what you said, you, you kept oh. putting so, but I think you're asking if you should put something entrepreneurial on your resume. You you own a real estate investment like group. Yes, you're, you're part of a, group. Yeah, definitely put that. I mean, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Um, it shows that you take initiative. It's interesting. It's um, adjacent to to law. Well, I suppose I suppose you know. Oh, it is because there's a lot of contracts and yeah, you know. Um, okay, so that was my. Now, and then also for my husband's construction company, I'm, I'm majority managing operator as well on that, but mm-hmm. I have nothing really to do with it. It's just a paper situation. So I would say you don't need to put it on if you don't actually do anything. Okay, perfect. If it, if it takes up your time, put it on the resume. Um, if it doesn't, don't. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Good luck. Hi, Mindy. So I have a question about uh, writing effective YX essays for particular law schools. So uh, beyond stating whatever reason I could find on the website or like on the internet, I am not located in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm unable to visit the law school forums or like school itself. So I wanted it to be more personal. So I tried contacting uh, alumni or student alumni particularly on LinkedIn to see like someone whose career path was aspirational uh, and but you know unfortunately I didn't get any responses so would it be okay to like ask the school to get me in touch with somebody who's currently in the school or some alumni so that you know I have something more to work with other than whatever information they have on their website or the brochure or something. Yes, I think it is okay. Um, uh, you know, as always, the rule is just you be concise, gracious, polite. Um, but yeah, um, I think so that's So if so, who should I be asking for? Like the admissions or, you know? They might. So if they have a, a general admissions office email, I, w- I would just send it to that. Um, okay. And, and most schools do. Okay. You know, uh, you can also and- call if you, I don't know if you want to call. Um, internationally but yeah that sometimes people feel a little more comfortable about that because um, you know there's less of a paper trail obviously okay but I don't think this is something to worry about I think it's a you know okay to email them and ask about that I was just going to point out this this lesson in the admissions course also just has more information about um, okay thank you oh this is the one I wanted to show you how to research so here, here are just more ideas about that Okay, thank you. Um, and I have another question about the PS. 
so uh, currently in my career, there is nothing that kind of uh, points to any experience with law or law, uh, any experience at all, because I am a computer science uh, major. I got a graduate degree in computer science and I've been working as a software developer. Cool. So should my essay be majorly alluding to why I'm choosing, why I'm choosing to go to law school? I think that that should be in there. Yes. I don't, I don't know if, you know, it has to be like, here are the five reasons why I'm going to law school. Um, okay. Certainly by the end of the essay, yes, I would want to know why you're going to law school and, you know, maybe how you might connect this um, experience and knowledge that you have to a career in law. Okay. But should that be the major focus of it? I would say that you should start with a brainstorm and lay out all the options. I, I think it's really hard to like decide what your statement should be deductively. Um, okay. There's, you know, there's rarely like a decision tree where it's like, well, if factors X, Y, and Z are true, then you have to write a statement about this. I would just think about the options, like, you know, check out how to choose a personal statement topic. Um, just look through, I mean, watch the video, but you can also just like look through some of these prompts um, and just, you know, maybe do a little free writing uh, and, you know, think about like if there's, if there's anything else you want to tell them, think about maybe if there are any anecdotes that like sort of help you thread the needle and, and take you from computer science and software engineering to law um, and, and see how it shapes up. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. Thank you. Hi, Jenny. My question is that because I attended one college first and then I transferred to another. I wonder um, if I should list um, activities from my first college, like in my resume at all, because those were like a little more far back. I think it's fine. I think you can. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to if you're running out of room and if you have a lot of great activities from your newer college. Your college. Um, okay. And also, um, I just have like a, a general question on the personal statement, especially for schools that are, um, like specifically say, um, like limit your uh, statement to two pages because it's actually really short. So I just wonder like, what are the like key points I, I must hit like for the PS? And, and I actually... Uh, I'm not so sure whether I should focus on telling my story and telling them who I am or focus a little bit more on um, like why law and why that school. I would try to do both. You know, the, the personal statement that like the very, very broad model of the personal statement that we see most often and, and which, you know, is often very successful is sort of like part one, something a little more personal and something that, you know, tells us a moment that you learned something or grew as a person, and then it, it pivots to why law. So your essay can definitely do both. And I, I think that, you know, it, it probably should, or, or at least it's, it's a great way to write an essay. I just think that sometimes statements that only hit this are dry and end up being less memorable and let you know there are exceptions you know I, I worked with a client who you know literally like knew from the moment of um, the great recession and the housing crisis that he wanted to be a lawyer he was in college at the time and and so he like formed a plan then and there and he decided that he wanted to like understand the finance industry that sort of enabled this crisis from the inside first. And so he 
um, got a job in iBanking and then he went into private equity and now he's leaving for law school and he had like, it was like literally a 10 year plan. And you know, that's, that's a pretty extraordinary degree of self-knowledge and commitment. Um, and so it was just obviously what he should write about. Um, but you know, most people, most people don't know that they want to go to law school and then plan it for, for 10 years. And, and it's okay if you don't. Um, and so if you're not in that world, then, you know, maybe you're in this world. So do I, like, how specifically do I need to talk about, like, my future plans? Uh, like, uh, what if I'm not so sure, like, which... That's, that's totally fine. Okay. And so again, you know, overriding rule is read the prompt. If the law school doesn't ask you to talk about, you know, what you plan to do with your career, you, you don't have to talk about it. I would say most of them don't. You know, and certainly most top schools, you know, they might suggest that you talk about it. But if you're not sure, I th that's that's totally okay. You you don't have to make something up. And admissions officers know that many people enter law school with a hunch that this is the right career for them, but without enough knowledge of the industry to know exactly what they're going to do. And that's totally okay. Okay, and. Uh... For like diversity statement, like what are the like important things I, I need to know about writing a diversity statement? Funny that you should ask. So there's a whole lesson about that. Oh. Uh, wow. Diversity statements. And the first one is should I write a diversity statement? I think one thing that you should know, I, I, this, a lot of people think that you have to write a diversity statement because they don't totally know what it is. You don't have to write a diversity statement. And I don't think that you should write a diversity statement unless you have something to say. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to limit diversity statements, um, you know, to people who have very traditional diversity factors. But be aware that um, diversity statement prompts come in two flavors. Some of them are pretty narrow. And, you know, they'll say, like, if, if you overcame obstacles, because of your, you know, background or something like that, write a diversity statement. So, if that's the case, you know, you, you really only want to write that if you overcame obstacles. Others, like Stanford's or, or Berkeley, are just sort of like much more welcoming to people who just want to sort of say something else that they haven't yet touched on. And so many times people who don't have traditional diversity factors, those being race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, uh, sexual orientation, and, and maybe um, religion, people who don't have those uh, traditional diversity factors will end up sending a diversity statement to some schools with the sort of more welcoming, looser diversity statement prompts and not sending it to other schools. I see. Like, would you recommend like writing all the optional essays? I would recommend, yes. <laughs> I would recommend writing at least one optional essay um, in most cases. I, I don't know, just for example, like, Michigan, they offer one of six. Yeah, I, I do think that you should probably write one of those. I guess my feeling is, and, and you know, this, this, this also comes from talking to admissions officer, like optional statements uh, often do end up as like a way to signal your interest um, and your effort. Diversity statements don't. So if you don't write a diversity statement, it doesn't look like you're not trying. Um, on the other hand, you know, it, it might sort of look like you're not trying if you don't write an optional essay. I see. And so if I uh, would hope to uh, get scholarships, like do I 
need to uh, mention it or or I don't need to talk about it at all? You don't need to talk about it at all. Um, admissions offices award merit aid, um, largely based on your numbers and other factors, you know, and basically how much diversity you'll add to the class. And then the process of applying for need-based aid is separate and it happens after you're already admitted. I see. And okay, one last question. Um, so how, um, like, how do you prepare for like schools that are require interviews? You do a practice interview or you, um, I can't remember, do we have a, I can't remember if I wrote a lesson about this now. But basically, you know, you're always, you're always ready to answer certain questions. Um, you, so you always there... prepare an answer for like why you want to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, why your law school, you always prepare a couple questions for them. You always prepare to talk about your resume. And, you know, I would usually think about, um, you know, maybe lots of people tend to answer, ask questions about sort of like your work on a team um, or a mistake. So sort of general interviewee questions. Um, as part of why law, by the way, you know, you might be thinking about like your career plans if you have them or just sort of subjects of interest. I see. I see. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. I'm uh, afraid I'm only going to take one more question. Sorry. Hey, John. Hey there, David. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for uh, hosting the Q&A. Um, so I had two questions. I know we're pressed on time, so maybe we can just do one. Um, but for a personal statement, I'm uh, kind of struggling with which topic to pick because um, I know you mentioned uh, not the last person, but two people ago, um, kind of blending that personal story and then why law. And for me, I'm kind of struggling with um, one, like the kind of college athlete story. And I know we, I know you've probably seen a few of those. So I was curious if you had any uh, suggestions on like, what's a good college athlete personal statement. Um, and then also trying to tie it into um, the graduate work that I did last year as well. So what are your thoughts, I guess? I guess I would start by rejecting the notion that there is a college athlete story. Um, okay. I've certainly read and, and helped people with essays about athletics in college, but mm-hmm. um, actually the essays were, were all quite different. They okay. don't, at least in my mind, sort of fit a template in the way that a, like a Teach for America essay sort of does. Yeah. Um, and by the way, like I still think that if you did Teach for America and it was super meaningful, you can write an essay about it. Right, right. But it's more diverse. You want to be aware of the fact that, yeah, there kind of is a TFA essay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think that like it's it's certainly a a great topic and it doesn't excuse you from doing the hard work of of figuring out a story. You you know, finding out a topic is really only the beginning of anyone's journey. Then you have to figure out what you're trying to say and how you're going to say it. I, I will also say like not seeing the essay or, or your brainstorm or knowing more like I don't, I don't know if you can tie it to your graduate work. It's certainly possible. You know, essays are allowed to make leaps. So it just depends on what, what story you end up telling and whether that story okay. encompasses both. Yeah, it's kind of hard without um, getting into specifics. So that's, that's okay. And then if you, if you have time, I, I just had yeah, like sure. a quick addendum question 
first semester of my freshman year, I got mono and that kind of impacted my academic performance. But I don't know if I should do an addendum just because I feel like a ton of people get mono. And so it's not really like addendum worthy, you know, if that no, makes I sense. Think it's addendum worthy. I think, you know, okay. when, when you're writing an addendum, you're, you're not really concerned about being unique or standing out. Like, cause the purpose of an addendum is not to show off who you are or impress them with your right. The purpose of an addendum is just to explain a thing that happened. Okay. No, I was, I didn't mean like if it was like a diverse enough addendum, I meant more of like, is this like, is this a, enough of a problem? Cause it did impact my grades. So then, okay. yeah, it, it definitely is like, okay. no question about it. No one would say like, what's this was complaining about mono for, or, or like, you know, this is ridiculous. This impacted his grades, please. What's next? I, okay. I don't think anyone will think that. Okay, great. Thank you very much. It. Appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. I'm sorry if I didn't call on you. We're out of time, but I'm going to do another one. Um, I think I might make this a regular thing through the, the crush of the application season. So just stay tuned on the forum and I uh, will announce the next one. Um, probably be as soon as next week. Um, all right. Thank you for coming, everyone. This was fun, and I wish you all good luck. JY here. Thank you for listening to that episode. I know some of the questions were highly specific, maybe a little too narrow, but even so, I hope you were able to draw some lessons that you can put to use in your own applications. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, if this is something you want to take advantage of, by all means, join us. Until the end of the year, that is 2018, and David will be doing this on a very regular basis, and you're absolutely welcome. If you want to find out more, just go to sevensage.com slash discussion. Or if you like to get email notifications, just sign up for a free account on 7Sage. And finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is something brand new that we're doing, and I want to do it right. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please send them to podcast at 7